You're listening to a sermon on the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Stick around after the message for more information about Mission Ridge. Thanks for tuning in. Well, good morning, Mission Ridge. So good to worship with you today. I I will tell you this, uh, we're still in phase one. I long for the day when we hit phase two and we can worship together in this room but we are asking people to start gathering homes and start watching together. Hopefully you're starting to take advantage of that. We can have groups of up to 10 in our homes, and we want to just start uh, building community again, building connection again. Uh, It's been a long season. Thank you for your patience. And uh, yeah, we'll just move forward together. Well, we are in week four of our series, The Partner God Pursues. We are looking at the story of Abram and how he grows in his faith and his connection with the Lord and the values that Abram adopts and how those values will play out for us here in Missoula if we adopt those values too and and how we could be used by God to further God's kingdom here in Missoula together. And so we're going to start in Genesis 16 today. It says this, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me, he has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. Man, there's a lot of repetition in that section. We might have to talk about that in footnotes. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked at me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. Whew, it's getting heated in the home. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, in the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, Where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that you cannot be numbered for the multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man. His hand 
against everyone and everyone's against him. And he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are a God of seeing. For she said, Truly, here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore the well, the well was called Berlaharoi. It lies between Kadesh and Bered. And Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of son whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. Well, what, a, what an interesting story. I mean, this could be modern day uh, daytime TV. Uh, it's a story about barrenness. It's a story about unmixed unmet expectations, even, even between a woman and her God, she says, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Like this just sounds like something that's deeply bothering Sarai. And then she says to her husband, may the wrong done to me be on you. It's a story of shame it's a story of relational strife that, that really comes out of sin. Here, Sarah and Abram, they, they come up with this plan. I'm not sure why Sarah could in one hand believe that, that the God of the heavens could prevent her from having children, but didn't think that God would be able to control whether she had children through Hagar. I'm not sure why she didn't connect those dots, but we don't always think congruently when we think about our God. I think that's a common, common thing amongst us humans. It's also a story of affliction. Abram says, she's in your power. She's within your power. And so we're told that she afflicted Hagar. Well, there's a portion of last week's story that we didn't look at. There are three verses that we didn't read. And they actually connect to this week's story. So I'll read them now. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in the land that is not theirs and will be servants there. So both stories have servants. And they will be afflicted for 400 years. Both stories have affliction. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out of, they shall come out with great possessions. So both stories have affliction, both stories have servants. I wonder if both stories have sojourners. Well, let's look at this next slide. This is uh, three Hebrew letters, hey, gimel, resh. And these three letters, these three consonants make up both the name Hagar and the word Hagar. The difference between these letters, just uh, he Hebrew doesn't have uh, vowels, but they use markings on the consonants to tell you how to uh, pronounce the consonant-vowel combinations that they 
that the letters make up. And so Hagar and Hagar, like, these words are, they're tied together. And so in chapter 15, Israel will be Hagar, the servant. I'm sorry, Hagar. So easy to mess up. <laughs> it's Hebrew to me, folks. I don't know what to tell you. You got <laughs> Israel in chapter 15 is Hagar. In chapter 16, we have a play on that same word, Hagar. God is connecting these two stories. And Hagar's and Sarai's story are not so different. If, if given the opportunity, they'll, they'll flick the other. If given the opportunity, they will oppress the stranger. If given the opportunity, they'll make the other one a servant of their desires. This is a common theme in humanity. There's also something that's not so different about Hagar and Sarai. It's the fact that God sees them both. In fact, if we go back to the end of that last section, she says, you are a God of seeing. There's something about recognizing the fact that God sees us. Knowing that we're facing challenging things and maybe, maybe during this COVID-19, that's all you really need to know. All you really care is, God, do you see me? God, do you see my family? God, do you see the people I care about? For those who have friends and family in hospitals that they can't go visit, God, do you see them? And Hagar's situation didn't change much. She was going to go back to affliction. She was going to go back to servitude. But somehow, somehow being seen by God makes a difference. And so the implication in the story is whomever you are in conflict with, God sees them. The question is, are you willing to see them? Like it's one thing to see something, but do you really, do you notice, are you aware of what you're looking at? Do you really see them? It's like in, in a biblical sense, to, you can know about something or you can know your wife and to know your wife, that, that means something altogether different, right? I could see you, but am I really seeing you? Because God sees you. And not only does he see you, but he sees whomever you're in conflict with. Are you willing to look past the things that divide you? Are you willing to look past the things that are different to look for commonalities? Because I think this is something that's near and dear to the heart of our God. 
as a church, we have this core value called unity in diversity. The church is a unity of different members, loving each other and working together for a greater purpose. Everyone has a voice. Everyone has a role. We will build a community of people from different perspectives, ethnicities, politics, and social economic standings. And the basic reason is because he's God of all those people. And so how could we build a community other than the one he has put here in Missoula? We will be a church that sees past differences. It's going to take work. It's going to take effort. It's going to take curiosity. It's going to take conversations with people that we normally probably wouldn't talk with. We will be a church that unifies under Christ. There's so many reasons to be not unified. There's so many reasons to choose to land in this camp or that camp or another camp. But we're going to choose to unify under Christ. And then value those differences. Value those unique perspectives. Value the fact that God has created you differently than me. And we'll be a church that restores the value of people's voice. So many people feel unheard by their community at large or unheard by segments of their community. When we are a church that sees that people from different parts of our community have walked in and we welcome them and we engage in conversation with them, even though we look very different. Maybe it's me standing next to a person who's goth. I've got bright colors, white hair. (laughs) They got dark eyeliner underneath their eyes. They're they're in all black. They look kind of like Logan does today. (laughs) I just noticed he's wearing all black. Uh, We're going to value and restore people's voices. We'll be a church that welcomes different perspectives, ethnicities, politics, socioeconomic standings. I want you to know this. If you are seeking to follow Christ, we welcome you. I don't care how well you have this figured out. You may have almost none of it figured out other than the fact that Jesus is worth following. If that's where you're at, I want you to know you're welcome here. And I want you to know that we will journey with you and we will grow together. Because I'm still growing. There, There are a lot of things that I'm still trying to figure out in my relationship with God and with other people. Why would I expect it to be any different for you? And so whether this is day one of your journey or you've been doing this for 40 years or more, I know some of you have been doing this even longer than that, we will journey together, we will grow together, we'll ask tough questions together, We will figure it out together. 
And so we have a number of call to actions. The first is be defined by Christ. The Apostle Paul said there is neither Greek nor Jew nor circumcised or uncircumcised. There's neither barbarian, barbarian, easy for me to say, or slave or free. If he wrote this today, he would say there's neither Democrat nor Republican, conservative, progressive, modernist, traditionalist, capitalist, socialist, foreigner, citizen, nationalist, globalist, short, tall. We like to divide over the team that we support. We like to create lines of separation over ethnicity, sexuality, the church we attend, our worship music preference. Apostle Paul said, it is Christ who defines us. It is Christ who defines us. And I invite you to think about your last 100 conversations and your last 100 social media posts. And if you categorize all those conversations and all those posts, what is your number one conversation? What would that conversation say about what you, how you identify yourself? Is it going to be based upon religion or politics, ethnicity, music genre, Jesus Christ? Like, What's that number one conversation out of your last 100 conversations and social media posts? Who does it say that you are aligned with? When your number one defining attribute is anything other than Christ, anything other than Christ, it puts you at odds with his kingdom. Jesus says you can't serve two masters. You cannot serve two masters. And so the call to action is to be defined by Christ. Let Christ define us. Let everything else be secondary to the fact that I follow Jesus. That doesn't mean that your conversations are invalid. Maybe you need to have those conversations. But can people tell that you follow Christ when they hear you talk? When they see your posts? Can they tell? Do they know? Do they know that the love of Jesus Christ has changed your life forever? Maybe, maybe the way you have those conversations could just be changed a little bit. Not throwing the baby out with the bathwater. But maybe the way you have the conversation gets tweaked a little bit so that everyone is clear who your master is. The second call to action is remember what you were saved from. For the Israelites, they were told that they should love the sojourner, the stranger, the alien. For they were once sojourner, strangers, aliens in the land of Egypt. That experience in Egypt was to remind them about how much God cares about the alien, 
the stranger, the sojourner. And for us, the Apostle Paul tells us in Ephesians 2 to remember that as Gentiles, we were at one time separated from Christ. We were strangers to the covenants of promise. We had no hope and we were without God. We should remember that. But in Christ Jesus, we who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. We are saved by grace. We should remember that in the way we talk with others, the way we consider other people's struggles. And then our next call to action is invite others in. Don't use a filter to determine who you're inviting in either. Just invite people in. When we remember what we were saved from, inviting others becomes a natural reaction. It's a natural response. I love what Billy Graham said. He said, I am simply a beggar telling others where they could find bread. I, I am no different than my fellow man on my left, my fellow man on the right. Simply a beggar. Apostle Paul tells us to be wise as you live and work amongst outsiders, that we should make most of every opportunity, that we should be gracious in our speech, and the goal is to bring out the best in others in conversation, not to put them down. That a conversation is to help people know Christ too. And our call to action is to see image bearers of God in, in everyone. All of us bear the image of God. Now, we don't always live it out well. When I'm at my best, I show you things that are redeemable that give you a hint of who God is. When I'm at my worst, whew, it's no good. And vice versa. There's no one culture that, that has, you know, has the, the, the corner market on this. It's not an Anglo-Saxon thing. In fact, Jesus is a Middle Easterner. And so, like, if you think, man, you, it frustrates me to think that the church for many years said, you know what, you need to become like us if you want to know Jesus. Jesus made them as well as us. Like, I don't get that. Sarai saw in Hagar something to be hated. And I imagine that Hagar did as well. But God saw what he put into each one. He saw how he put his image in the Sarai and how he put his image in the Hagar. And when you read Psalm 139, verse 13, that says, you, were, you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. Do you apply this verse only to you or to the, what, 8 billion people across the planet? I apply it to everyone. 
Are you looking for God's image or are you looking for faults and failures? Because if you're looking for faults and failures, that is not the gospel. That's not how God's kingdom moves forward. And it's not how I see Jesus acting. And then the last call of action, is that the last one? Yep. Last call to action, keep small things small. Keep small things small. We could do this two ways. One, be careful about attributing the sin of one on the many. I think about um, when a police officer abuses their power. That's not that does not mean that all police officers are abusive. Attributing the sin of one on the many spreads hopelessness instead of hope. It divides instead of unifies. It hurts the gospel instead of helping. Now, honestly, there are times where it's appropriate to attribute the sin of one on the many. Sometimes that is appropriate but I feel like we do this way too often. And we have to be really careful about this. We have to be really careful about this. And then the second way of keeping small things small, be careful about adding up the sins, the many sins. Let me say this again. Be careful about adding up the many sins of the one. Keeping a record of wrongs, that's God's job. It's not yours and it's not mine. God says, as far as the east is from the west, so far have I removed your sin from you. I, I don't always forgive like that. I don't always choose to forget what happened yesterday and what happened the day before that and the day before that and the day before that. I find when I use language like you always and you never, when I use these extreme, this extreme language with someone, you always fail me. You never come through. When I'm doing that, I'm adding up the many sins on the one person. It's called resentment. Creating a culture of unity and diversity requires us to forgive, to forgive, to forgive. Which brings us to communion. This is a time when we remember what Christ did for us. It's a time to reflect on what his going to the cross, his body being bruised, his blood pouring out onto the ground, what that means. It's a time to remember of how we were once separated and now we're invited in. That at one time, all our sins were counted against us, but now they are forgiven. And we, we have an open table. If you are here to celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord and Savior, 
you are invited in. It's, it's that simple for you to partake, for you to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. All you have to say is, Lord Jesus, I need you. I need the salvation that you offer. I need you to change me. And I'm going to live for you. It's, it's really simple. But we come back and we, we take time to reflect of what Christ means to us. What does it look like for you to keep small things small this week? What does it look like for you to invite others in? Or to remember where, where you are saved from? And what does it look like for you to be defined by Christ as your very first priority? What does it look like for you to pursue unity and diversity? What do you sense God calling you to this week as we talk through this, as we, as we look at the stories of these two ladies that think they're so different from the other, but they're so similar. Given the right set of circumstances, they'll do the exact same thing. Put in the right set of circumstances, they're still hoping that God sees them, and he, and he does. That's the good news. So as we grab bread... And I love how simple this bread is. It's nothing special. It, we're told that when you looked upon Jesus, you didn't see anything special. But God saw his heart. And he sees our heart when we come to him in these moments to reflect and remember Christ our Savior. Let's, let's take this bread together. The Lord Jesus, on the night in which he is betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is new covenant, my blood. Man, a brand new covenant that Jesus established when he went to the cross. Not when you and I went to the cross. When he went to the cross, when he paid the price. When he stood in the gap for us. And he says, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's remember our Savior. Lord, love you. So grateful for the salvation that you have brought to us. Lord, uh, I hope that as a community we could continue to grow in our desire to see a unity and diversity. Even, even as you had a unity and diversity amongst your 12 disciples that represented all the major factions of Israel at that time. We want to live that example out well. Lord, I know that the people of Missoula, we are a diverse people. We are a diverse people of your 
making. And so we want to respect that image that you've placed in each one and value the image that you've placed in each one and celebrate who you created them to be and invite them in into this journey of growing closer to you. Help us to do our part in this. We love you. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and share if you enjoyed this message. Mission Ridge is a new church in Missoula, Montana. If you're in the Missoula area, we would love to have you join us for worship on a Sunday. For more information about Mission Ridge, connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, or online at missionridge.church. If you would like to partner with us financially, you can give securely online at missionridge.church forward slash give. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you have a blessed week. We'll catch you on the flip side.